Those are some, some great songs. Uh, it's hard for me just to jump right into it. I feel like I need to pray, so I'm going to pray. <laughs> Lord Jesus Christ, um, I'm overwhelmed as we, as we sing the songs and we're singing true words to you and about you, and, and I'm overwhelmed that you're all we need. I'm overwhelmed that it's not about what we do, that you look at us and you choose to love us. You chose to give your life for us, to bring us into your family. And there's nothing we can do to make you love us more. There's nothing we can do to make you love us less. You've promised to be there with us at the beginning, all the way to the end. We're so grateful. And so now all we have to do is just live out of the overflow. And maybe that sounds easier than it is, but we, we get to just have a relationship with you. We get to abide in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let your will be done. Expand your kingdom here in our individual lives to have more control over each of us and then us as a church and then us as a city, Carson City, uh, Douglas County. Let us more and more be submitted to you. Let your kingdom grow and expand. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this last week we were at a, uh, a conference. The, the staff and elders went to a conference and it was really kind of neat just to, to see what God is doing elsewhere in the world. Uh, and there are places where there are movements of the gospel, movements of people coming to Christ and going like we can't even imagine. You know, we've said it before, North America is the only continent where the church isn't growing. And it's growing different in other places, but there's places where it's growing like crazy. And mostly that's where it's persecuted. I heard a story of a, a country in the East where the Hindus will dig up the Christians' bodies and put them in the middle of town just to show our gods are bigger than yours. And so they have this giant freezer that they put the bodies in. And then at night, they'll go bury them somewhere in the woods so that the Hindus don't dig them up. But in places like that, the church is growing. <laughs> more and more are coming to know Christ. There's a movement and that can happen here. And that's what Paul was kind of hitting at. God wants to do that here. The biggest barrier, and we talk about it all the time, though, is we are so comfortable here in the U.S. We're so comfortable. It's so easy to become apathetic um, and just to, to go to church and be good rather than to be part of what God wants to do. And so we're in an exciting time right now where God seems to be clearing up maybe exactly where he wants us to go and what he wants us to do, but we need to be praying as a body. And I'm going to ask you, please pray. If you're in a group, pray in your group. If you're not in a group, pray individually, pray as a couple, pray that God will make clear exactly which way he wants us to go. Because we've had these big visions of making disciples, of being a church, not about ourselves, but about the kingdom. But he's kind of clarifying that a little bit, that there's maybe more detail in there that he wants to do. And we want to make sure we're following him, um, which means we need to be praying. So pray for that if you would, and uh, we can get into what we're doing today. Um, I didn't introduce myself. My name is Derek Carpenter. I'm the, one of the pastors here, and uh, this is my wife, Callie, right up front. And I'll admit, when we move to the front, I always feel bad because nobody sits in the front. So if you ever want to make me feel good, these seats are always open. Um, <laughs> but uh, a couple weeks ago, um, Callie, I didn't get permission to tell the story. Callie lost her car keys. And I was at a church thing. I was up here and I was here late at night at nine o'clock or so. And I'm driving home and calling her and checking in. She said, so when you get home, you have to take me to South Gardnerville because I lost my keys. And somebody had to drive her home and she got the other keys. So I get home and we hop in the car and we drive all the way down there. The kids are in bed and 
get in the car and bring it home. And she said, I, we looked everywhere. I don't know where the keys are. And I was really understanding. And, and <laughs> I was. Um, and, and loving and sweet. And, and uh, she made a comment. She said, I, I'm surprised. Like, you were really being awesome about this. I know. Um, <laughs> and then the next day, she found the keys on the passenger seat under a piece of paper. And she swears they weren't there. So there was some kind of miracle. Um, and still... I was gracious and kind and loving. And um, the point, the point with that is when we do dumb things, that was the wrong way to put that. <laughs> when we, when we make mistakes, when, when we make mistakes in our marriage, we can be confident that the other is going to accept us. She did the same thing a couple weeks later, close to it. And I wasn't quite as accepting. I wasn't quite as sweet and nice. And because of that, I did the same thing last week. So that's just the way God works with us is when I'm impatient then, it, and it was the exact same thing. It was on the soccer field. And at the end, I went to get in the car with Kayla and I said, I, the keys are gone. And we went walking around and somebody had them and luckily our kids' pictures were on there. I'm like, are these your kids? I said, yes. Um, but I wasn't worried that even though I was maybe a little impatient with her the last time she had, I wasn't worried that, that I was gonna get kicked out. I wasn't worried that she was gonna be mad at me. She was very understanding. Isn't that, now I know that, that not every marriage is that way, but I would argue it should be, that, that we, we can be secure in who we are with one another and not be perfect. Now, the current day and age in marriage is really largely, as long as you do what I want, we're going to be good. And so all the time there's spouses threatening divorce. Oh, you're not doing just what I want. We're going to get divorced. And so there's this constant struggle of, am I going to be accepted today? You know, and so there's this, are we going to work? Are we going to not? And a lot of times I think people do the same thing in their Christianity and their walk with God. They feel like God is going to divorce them at any moment. They're, they're unsure. Like, wh where am I going to be with God? If I do this, is he going to be sick of me? Um, what do I have to do? Is there something more that I need to know to be right with God? And so the, the Christian life can be full of insecurity, wondering what's going to happen. Will God accept me tomorrow or not? What's going to happen at the end? I'm doing the best I can. I don't know. And I'm here to tell you, that's not the way our Christian life is supposed to be. Our Christian life is supposed to be secure. And we're going to be in Colossians. So turn to Colossians. But we're going to be looking at a book here that Paul wrote to a church that was struggling with this. Now, to set up our new series here, going through this book, we need to, uh, we need to get an idea of this church. And so I'm going to give you the background because it's really going to, to lay out when we get the context of this church in Colossae, it'll understand what he's saying. And without understanding where they were at, we won't understand so much Paul's point, which was not only amazing for them, but it's also amazing for us because we can struggle with the same things. So here's, here's this church. Show us the map. We're talking about Colossae. If you see it there, bottom right-ish, there's a box around it. It was a smaller city. It wasn't a big city. It wasn't a, a, an epicenter of anything. In fact, where it is now, it's all buried and they haven't even excavated it. There are people that want to excavate it, but it's still sitting there unused. But this, this city was there and it was near Ephesus. So picture with me, there's a, a, a man named Epaphras and he lives in Colossae. 
And Epaphras, he was probably some kind of a merchant. You know, in the town square, things were different there than now. In the town square, you would have the merchants and, and everything you needed, you could get there. And Epaphras was probably one of those merchants. He had a booth there. And his wares, who knows what they were exactly, but his wares, think with me that they were, they were from around the world. You know, so he had, he had Turkish delight from, from Turkey, which didn't exist yet. So it was like Persian delight or something. Um, he had, he had spices from the East and silk. And so he would get all these things and, and he had his booth where he would sell these. But where, if you lived in Colossae, it's like kind of Carson city, where are you going to get that good stuff? Well, for him, he'd have to go down to Ephesus. Ephesus was really a center of industry. Ephesus was a big city. Ephesus, right there on the Mediterranean Sea, was where all the ships would come in. They would take the stuff off, and then they would put them on carts and take them around that area of the world. And so Epaphras would go to Ephesus to get his stuff. So picture with me, Epaphras, he goes down to Ephesus. Jesus had died and rose again by this time. He had ascended. He had sent out the apostles, and he had now appeared to Paul. If you remember the story with Paul, Paul was maybe the greatest missionary we've ever seen. Paul had been cruising around, starting churches and moving on. Well, Paul went to Ephesus and in Ephesus, Paul set up shop longer than he did anywhere else. And so around this time, Epaphras goes down to Ephesus while Paul happens to be there. Paul does start a church in Ephesus, but one of the big things he does in Ephesus is every day he teaches. For years, he's there teaching in a school, the school of Tyrannus. So Tyrannus was probably a guy who ran a little school and Paul rented out a room or, or a courtyard or something there. And people knew about Paul and they would go listen to this new teaching, this new deity, this Jesus. And so Paul was there. Uh, Epaphras comes to Ephesus. His ship hasn't arrived yet. So he has some time to kill. In Ephesus, there's a lot to see. You can see the, the temple uh, to Athena, all these things, wonderful place, but Epaphras has done all that because he's been in business for a while. So he's looking for something to do, something to waste a week. And he hears about this guy named Paul. Paul teaching in the school of Tyrannus. So Epaphras goes and he sits in and he listens to Paul. And he hears the gospel. He hears about Jesus Christ. He hears about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that there's one God. Now in Colossae, where he was from, it was very, just like everywhere in the world at that time, many religions, many gods. And so they were very, it was syncretism. They, they, would, they would take pieces of everything and add it together. So you could believe in Zeus and Hermes, but then also maybe this Jesus guy too could be added in. So they, they believed all these different things, very religious, and then brought it into one. Well, that's where he was from. So when he sits down and he hears this Jewish rabbi teaching about Jesus, who is the Jewish Messiah, and there's only one God, and God became a man, and he came to deal with the sin problem. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross and rose again. And all it takes is faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. And you'll have a new life. You'll be reborn. The spirit will indwell you. And then you can go live for him with security in the future. That was the message he heard. Now for Epaphras, this was new. This, and he hears this, this message, this gospel. Gospel means good news. And of course, he got excited about it. And so he came back the next day and the next day. And he probably got his shipment and left it sitting there for a couple of weeks while he continued to learn from Paul. And eventually he hears and he, he, he decides he's got to believe. And so he goes up to Paul after class one day and he says, hey, I believe all this that you're saying. What do I do? He said, be baptized. He said, we'll do it tomorrow. It's going to be awesome. So the next day at the beginning of class, he, they go outside and, and he dunks 
Epaphras, and Epaphras gets baptized. Now, this is not all in the Bible. I'm elaborating a little bit. I'm assuming how that story happened, just so you know. Don't, don't quote, hey, the Bible, this is how it happened. Um, but Epaphras gets saved in Ephesus through Paul. He probably gets baptized right there. Then, I imagine as he continues to learn, he went to Paul. He said, hey, my city, they haven't heard this. You need to come there next. Come next, leave Ephesus, come to Colossae and teach this. They need to know it. My family's there. My friends are there. They need this message. And you know what Paul probably told him? No, I'm not coming. Paul never went to Colossae. He said, you go. He's like, you already have a shop there, right? Yeah. You know a lot of people, right? Yeah. They're going to listen to you more than they'll listen to me. You go tell them the story. So Epaphras goes back. He brings his wares. He continues to do his job but he starts telling people about Jesus and a church grows, a church starts and it grows. And now this letter is probably 13 ish years later. Paul is in prison in Rome. He hears about the church there in Colossae because Epaphras has gone there and spread the gospel. And now a church has started. And, and I imagine probably what happened was a couple months later, Epaphras is back in Ephesus, picking up another, you know, cartload of goods. And he goes to Paul. He's like, okay, here's the deal. We've got 20 people. And they've, they've been baptized too. He's like, now what do I do? He's like, well, you ever heard of this thing called a pastor? Um, maybe that's what you're going to be. Go find a place. Now it's up to you to help grow these people. He says, who's in your congregation? You know, who, who's giving their life? Well, there's this guy Philemon. Uh, he used to buy all my stuff because he's pretty wealthy. Um, and he's got a big house. He's like, well, have you thought about maybe meeting in his house? So he goes back and, and he says, hey, Philemon, can we use your house? By the way, there's another book called Philemon. And so we know that the book of Philemon was a rich man and this church met in his house. It was a house church. And so that's, that's the situation. There's a couple things that stick out to me just in that picture. Epaphras was not an apostle. Epaphras was a normal dude like you and me. And he had a message and he took it home and it changed the city. He took that message home and he was bold enough to lay his life out to share the gospel and God did great things. But the problem was, now 13 years later, some false teachers are coming into the church. One or more. We don't know how many, but they're coming in with a different message. They're coming in saying, this Jesus thing is okay, but you need more. It's Jesus plus something else. And as we go through the book, we'll see some of those other things. But, but it, was, it had pieces of Gnosticism. Gnosticism was, was the belief that only certain people were really spiritual so you could be like the junior varsity believing in Jesus. But if you want to be the varsity, like really good, you need to know this deep stuff that only God can reveal. And so they had this special club of really smart people that God has revealed new things to. Um, and there were other aspects too that they brought in of pagan cultures. And so they're bringing that in. And the church, some of them are getting confused. Some of them are, are feeling their, their security is going away. Wait a minute. Do we not have enough? Did Epaphras leave something out? Okay, well, so what else do we need? That's why Paul's writing to this church. And he's going to deal with the details, but he doesn't de deal with the details first. And I think it's really awesome how he begins. And so this is what our focus is today, is how does he begin his letter? We're only going to look at eight verses. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. 
Look at how he begins this letter. By the way, this letter would have been written, it was written to the church. Look at this. Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, to the saints and faithful brothers. This letter wasn't to Epaphras. Epaphras was actually probably with Paul when he wrote this. This letter was to the church. And so they would have read this on a Sunday when they got together. Somebody would have got up and said, hey, we got a letter from Paul. Pretty awesome. And they would have read it probably all in one sitting and then broken it apart and studied it. But here's how he starts it. He says, Paul, this is who I am. I'm an apostle. You guys know who I am. You've heard of me. By the will of God, he had an authority that nobody has anymore. They were able to write scripture. He had an authority by Jesus. He had seen the risen Jesus. He says, I have authority and I'm speaking to you now. And what's he call him? To the saints and faithful brothers. That's how he begins it. He says, to the saints. He doesn't say to you people that might be saved. He says, you are saints. The word saint means set apart for God, called out to God. A saint, those of you raised Catholic, is not somebody that performed a miracle and was really awesome and you attained sainthood. We are all saints, which is pretty cool because we are all kind of on an evil, evil, even, (laughs) we're all on an even plane before God. Not some of us are saints. There's not levels of Christianity. We're all saints, We're all positionally correct, right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. So he says, you are saints. Don't doubt that about yourself. You are saints. You are faithful brothers. That could be brothers and sisters, saints, and then family. Paul really liked to talk about the church as a family, the body of Christ, the family of Christ. And he says, you are my brothers. You are my sisters in Christ. He's beginning, he's trying to give them security from the start. Somebody's coming in, sowing doubts. Be secure, your saints, your brothers. And he continues in verse three. Sorry, this is in your notes if you're a note taker. Paul is writing to true believers. He considers them saints and brothers. By the way, these true believers aren't perfect yet. They're struggling. (laughs) They're having doubts. That can happen in the Christian life. And so he's assuring them and affirming them. Now verse three, he says, we always thank God the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. What does he say? He says, we thank God for you. They get this letter. Paul's in prison in Rome and he says, I'm thankful for your church. I'm thankful for your church individually, but corporately that church. And why is he thankful? Just look at this. Why is he thankful? He's thankful because they're the real deal. They're not a pretend church. They're the real deal because of their faith in Christ Jesus. Their faith that shows itself in love for fellow brothers, other believers, primarily, that's what he says. Your love for all the saints. So somehow this church was involved with other believers. They were kingdom-minded. You get that? They were kingdom-minded. If if a, a Christian came through town, guess what? They had a great place to stay. They had good food. They hung out with this church and they worshiped. Maybe they sent money to other churches. We don't, we don't have those details, don't know exactly. But this church was kingdom-minded. They cared about all the saints. They were in unity, unified. And it was because of their faith in Christ Jesus. So he's encouraging them. I've heard of your faith. And we see later that it's because of Epaphras. Epaphras has come and told them of his faith. But I imagine he's probably heard about it from others too. This church is living it. They're the real deal. And he hears about it. You know, when we, uh, 
when we were gone this weekend, I, I sat in on, on a session. We had these breakout sessions. And I sat in on this session, and I got to listen about a, a house church movement in Hawaii, which was kind of cool. But listening to this house church, and they do things very different than us. So if you want to be shocked, hear about the way they do it. They don't have music, um, which is fine. But I like to sing. And, and, and we worship that way. But, so they do things differently. But one of the things that they emphasized, was, which I thought was excellent, was lordship. They said, you know what? We don't, we don't mess with theology a lot. You know, and some of that goes, that scares me a little bit. So you're okay with anything. But, but what they did say was really good. I, they said, we'll get to the theology at some point, but it starts with lordship. It starts with Jesus being the one in charge. And if Jesus, if they really submit to Jesus, the rest will work out. They'll learn the Bible and they'll want to obey it. So making Jesus Lord of one's life and obeying him then results in, in the right things. Doesn't mean we won't stumble. Doesn't mean we won't doubt at times. But I think that's what's going on with this church. They had decided to follow Jesus and make him in charge. And they were trying to be obedient. And, and so he says, good job. Good job. You're the real deal. He is Lord of your life and you're following him. I'm confident you're Christians. I'm confident you're saints. You're my brothers. So he's encouraging them because of their faith. This is... This is a big deal because those coming in were saying your faith is good, but you need more. Belief in Jesus was good, but you also need something else. You know, the church has a tendency to do this ever since then. <laughs> That's why the Reformation took place. By the way, I think this is the 500th year of the Reformation. But the church got to a point where they're saying, that's great, but you also have to give a certain amount. You also have to do these certain things. You have to, you know, do your, your penance and your, all this stuff that the Catholic church added into it. And Martin Luther reading Paul, writing in Romans, reads and he, and he sees Paul is all about faith alone. It's not faith plus anything. And so that was the chant of the Reformation, sola fide, faith alone, and sola scriptura, Bible alone, that it's done. The re revelation is done and it's in God's word. And so that's what's going on here. Paul is telling them faith alone. And you've got that. You've got the faith and that's all you need. I read this quote that I thought put it really well. It says, faith is the door. Faith is the hinge on which the door swings. Faith is the key that unlocks the door. Faith is the impulse to open the door when the knock comes. Faith is the willingness to invite the guest in. Faith impels surrender, which allows the guest to become the master of the house. Jesus does everything. All we do is believe faith. Those are synonyms. Our faith places us in relationship with God. That's what he wants them to know. Faith alone. And their faith is in Christ. You know, we could have a whole sermon, and I have before, about being in Christ or about Christ. They didn't just believe about Jesus. They believed in Jesus, meaning he was the one in charge. They trusted him. Paul is confident in the identity of these people as saints and brothers because of their obvious faith and love. He's confident in their identity. And that's what we're looking at here this morning. This week and next week, we're really dwelling on the idea of identity. Paul does this in pretty much all his books. He talks about who you are in Christ, saved, secure, identity. You're his sons, you're his daughters. We're sons and daughters of the king. Then he'll spend time talking about who Jesus is. Here's who Jesus is. And then he'll talk about what that results in our life. He doesn't start with, hey, go behave. He starts with, you're good. You're sons and daughters. 
Just like your kids, aren't they secure that they're your kids? That's where we start in our security with him. But now look at verse five with me. This is the key verse, by the way, in this opening section. Verse five. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Let me start back in four because that's a run-on sentence there. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, they have their faith and love, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Here you see the, the, the trichotomy of Christian virtues, faith, hope, love. But in this explanation, hope is the basis of the faith and the love. Do you see that? Their hope comes before, underneath, holds up their faith and their love. I think that's interesting because that's what's being attacked is their hope. That's what's being attacked. They're saying you need Jesus and this. Their hope was in Jesus alone. They're trying to shake that foundation. If they shake that foundation, what happens to the faith? What happens to the love that results? There's going to be a problem. So you have to focus on the hope. And what is this hope? This is the hope that inspires faith and love, and it is eternal salvation. That's the hope he's talking about, hope of eternal salvation. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The hope laid up for you in heaven. John says it this way in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. Christians, followers of Jesus, you are sons and daughters of the king now. Done. You've been adopted and the paper is sealed and nobody can get to it. Done. But it won't be fully complete until later. Are you perfect yet? I'm not. Later, it will be perfectly complete. When Jesus comes, we will get new bodies. He says, we will be like him, although we don't fully understand what that will be. We're not supposed to, but we will be like him. We'll see him like he is. In John 14, Jesus says this. After he tells them he's gonna leave, and they're kind of sad, obviously. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. See the theme, faith, belief? In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. This future reality is fixed because of Jesus' work on the cross. In Hebrews, it talks about hope. Hope is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. That's hope. Their use of the word hope is not like ours. Ours is, I sure hope I get something cool for Christmas. For them, hope was a confident assurance in something that was going to be. That's what their hope was. That their eternal salvation was laid up for them. It was already there. It begins now, it's completed then, and it's fixed. That was their hope, confident assurance of what you can't see. And the danger here is that these false teachers are trying to undermine that hope. No, it needs to be Jesus and something else. And it says here that it is laid up. It is laid up for you. Do you remember the, the concept of layaway? I'm not sure if they even do that anymore. But you could go, I, yeah, I heard about it, Sears. Um, you, you could go in and you could put a down payment on something and then they would take it off the shelf and they would lay it away. And as long as you made the payments, that was yours. This is kind of that idea that it, your, your salvation 
is laid away for you. But you don't have to make any payments. It was paid in full at the beginning. So it's more like this. You probably didn't do this. You're all better people than me. But when I was a kid, my parents bought the Christmas presents. They didn't hide them very well. They were always in their, their closet. And sometimes they put them behind the socks. But duh, like we're not going to look there. Um, we'd go up, sneak in, and check out the presents. Oh, look what I'm going to get. Look what, you know, that. oh, yay, yay, yay. And so they were ours. We knew we were going to get them. But then we'd cover them back up. And, and then on Christmas, oh, no way, yay. Um, but they were, they, were late. they were already bought and paid for. Bought and paid for, set there, but we didn't get to take full possession of them till Christmas morning at 2 a.m. or whatever time my sisters woke me up. But that's more the idea here. Your salvation has been bought by Jesus. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to secure it other than faith in Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works, so no one can boast. That's what he wants them to get. Jesus plus nothing. That's what he's telling them. You are saints. You are my brothers and sisters. Jesus plus nothing. And I picture, I think I get Paul a little bit. I think he got a little bit fired up. Like when I get out of here, I'm coming there and I'm going to deal with that guy. He says that in other books. These same people were making the rounds to other churches. And Paul writes it elsewhere. He's like, when I come, I'll deal with them. Here, he, want, he doesn't go deal with them as far as we know, but I think Epaphras probably did. Epaphras took this letter back and he's like, listen guys, our hope is secure. Remember what I taught you about Jesus? That hasn't changed. But their hope is in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Here's the thing. Can we deal with this? About 10 years ago, I met a man at a coffee shop. I would go there. It was near our house. I would go there and do my devotions. He saw me reading a Bible. So he would come hang out and, and we got to talking. Um, and at first, it's like, oh, great. We believe the same thing. This is kind of cool. We're excited about the kingdom. But, but slowly, I re he really was condescending my faith. He had something special that I didn't have. And so I wasn't, I wasn't at his level yet. What I needed was a second blessing of the Holy Spirit. I hadn't spoken in tongues, so there was something wrong with me. Um, I hadn't experienced these miraculous things. So, you know, I wasn't quite there. And so he really looked at me with pity like this, oh, too bad. Like, you're close, you know, the whole Jesus thing, that's close. But you really need this outpouring of the Spirit on you. And when you do, you might get to my level. And, and so for me, I mean, what, what do you do in that situation? It's like, well, am I wrong? Like, is there something I'm missing? Because don't we want to be all we can in Christ? We do. And so, yeah, that temptation can come in. Is there, is there a second blessing? Because if so, I want it. I want more. I want more of Jesus. But my hope was in Jesus' finished work. And if God chooses to do something like that, great. That's up to him. But my hope was secure, firm in Jesus alone. Now, listen, do we want to be better? Yes. <laughs> do I want to be more obedient? Yes. Do we want him to open up the heavens and see his glory? Yes. Absolutely. And can we, it's called sanctification, become more and more like Jesus? Absolutely. And experience his blessing in that? Yes. Can you be more blessed? Yes. Doesn't mean more money. Doesn't mean more health. But it means as you submit and follow him, that's not the same. So that's great. Yes, we pursue. But he's saying you're secure in your salvation. Now let's pursue him, but you're secure. This hope, if you haven't got this yet, this hope is based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Verse six, he says, this, this gospel 
which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. He's, he's saying here, the message you heard from Epaphras was a complete one. You got it all. There's not some other little piece of knowledge that you're missing in order to be more spiritual. You got the whole message. This is one of those big reasons why we can say, guess what? We have the whole message in the Bible. Nobody's going to come along going, hey, I had a revelation and it's different than the Bible and you need to follow that. Jesus and this new message. That's where the cults start. When you got somebody knocking on your door saying, hey, I got something else for you. Jesus plus something else. It all starts with adding to scripture. It all starts with denying who Jesus is. And so that's why we're studying Colossians because Colossians lays out who you are, firm and secure, then who Jesus is, then how that should result because we're secure in Jesus. When somebody's saying there's something more, your question mark should go up and then we can come together, come to your group and talk about it, but stand firm in Jesus alone. Jesus plus nothing. They had the complete gospel from Epaphras, not, not an apostle, a normal guy like you, like me. Epaphras was obedient. He went home and he shared the gospel and look what he did. How's your neighborhood? Anybody there that need to hear the gospel? What if you, like Epaphras, you know, if you come up to me and you're like, hey, my neighbors really need to hear the gospel. Will you come share it? I'm going to tell you, no, you're their neighbor. You go share it. What if we were all doing what Epaphras did? That, that's what excites me. What could happen there? A real movement like we're seeing other places in the world. But that's not this message. This isn't a church planting message, but it's about the completeness of the gospel and that we, when we by faith accept Jesus as Lord, we're secure. First Corinthians 15 really summarizes the gospel, the complete gospel. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance, that which I also received. Paul received this message from Jesus directly. He received it. He passed it on that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter and to the 12. That's the gospel. That's the message. Sounds simple, right? That's it. It hasn't changed. We believe that and then choose to, by faith, submit to Jesus and we're saved. John says it in 1.12, John 1.12, to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who received him. That's the same thing Paul is saying here because he says this, you learned it from Epaphras, you heard it. Um, or Sorry, verse six. He says, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God. You heard it, you understood it. You placed your faith in it. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Nothing to add. So we, we leave with this. Are you secure? Are you tempted by these other stories, Jesus and? Or can you really be at rest, at peace in your position with God because of Jesus Christ alone? And if you're in here and you don't have that hope, that hope laid away, guess what? You can all it takes is by faith, accepting what Jesus has done for you. The gospel we just read, that your sin has separated you from God. There's nothing you can do about it. So God took the form of a man. Jesus died on the cross, paid that penalty, rose from the dead, 
ascended to heaven, and now by faith, you can be saved. So today, if you haven't done that, when we're singing at the end, I'm going to be standing right there in the back. Come grab me. We'll go back there. We'll talk about it. We'll pray. But today can be that day where you can get that hope. And if you've struggled with that, and we do this all the time, we struggle with our hope. You know, today I'm good. Tomorrow I'm not. I want you to, to rest in Jesus alone. That's what Paul wanted them to do. You're good. Now let's work with the details, but you're good. And it starts there. Let me pray and let's continue to worship. Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you that you did all the work. Thank you that on the cross, right before you breathed your last, you said, it is finished. Man alive. There are so much wrapped up in your words. It is finished. It is finished. We are saved. And now we move boldly to serve you for your glory, not for our own. Now we bold. We move boldly to love others, to share your gospel as an overflow of you in us. Thank you that we don't have to earn it. Jesus, we we love you. We adore you. All those songs that we sang before, open up the heavens. Please do. (laughs) Those aren't just words. We want you to open up the heavens, pour out your blessing so we can see many people saved, so we can see marriages healed, so we can see our kids come to know you, and then be missionaries in school. Our kids can go change lives. If you show up, if you do the work, it's all about you. And so now we're going to sing because it's all about you. It's not about us, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.